As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Unlikely Leadership with Audrey. And you can reach out to me to ask more about this episode, to tell me more about what you'd like to hear about, or to tell me how it's working as you use these leadership skills through this podcast at 310-582-5216. Text me, 310-582-5216. Today's guest is Minda Hartz, and Minda Hartz is a workplace and equity consultant. She's also the best-selling and award-winning author of The Memo and Write Within. Her third book, You Are More Than Magic for Young Adults, will be released in spring 2022. Minda is a professor at NYU Wagner. She is a frequent guest on MSNBC and featured on ABC News, Forbes, Fast Company, and Time Magazine. Minda is a highly sought-after speaker for companies such as Liberty Mutual, American Family Insurance, Nike, Google, and Salesforce. In 2020, she was named the top voice for equity in the workplace by LinkedIn, and Minda hosts a live weekly podcast called Secure the Seat. Let's get into this awesome conversation with Minda. I can't wait for you to meet her. One of the things that I noticed right away in your work is... Um, how to manage for diversity. And I'd love to hear for you, what are you telling people? What are you going in there and having the work that you're doing and the speaker engagements that you're doing? What are you telling people and what are they asking? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that uh, when you think about, like you said, the paradigm shift taking place is that leadership management styles have to also shift with the times, right? And so for me, I'm talking about the way you managed in, you know, 1955 is a lot different than you should be managing in 2022 and beyond, right? And so, for example, managing diverse talent, two things can be true at the same time. We might all work at the same place, but we don't experience that workplace the same, right? So if you are a person of color or 
over 50 or LGBTQ in the workplace, if you don't feel comfortable talking to your manager about some of the experiences you're having and your manager responds and says, well, you know, I'm not comfortable talking about race, then, you know, I go in and say, is this the right person to be managing anymore? Right. You know, Mm, (laughs) should they be in that position? Because you can't have a manager invested in everyone's success and they're not comfortable with equity. Right. And so that's what this all boils down to, in, in my opinion. But that's such a powerful statement, Minda, because nobody sits there and goes, I don't know how to talk to women. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, at least not openly to to everybody else. Right. But it right. is this interesting dynamic where I think there's been more so like, well, we all got to get better. We got to let women in. We got to build a, a, you know, it's Wall Street. We got to build a bathroom for for women because they're starting to come and they don't even have their own bathroom here. There's so many things where you could see people got proactive. And there is a bit of this haze like, ooh, when it comes to race, uh, I'm I'm frozen. I'm frozen. And I think it does take, you know, the the level of straightness in which you said, hey, well, here's the thing. Going forward. Is this the person that you want if they're not going to get up underneath it and start doing self-generative work in in how to be able to manage this way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you think about some of the statistics out there, uh, one in particular in my first book, The Memo, I interviewed 100 women of color and 70% of them said that they felt like their managers weren't invested in their success. So that, in my opinion, is a direct correlation to why we see a lack of diversity in executive roles, right, on board yeah. seats for women of color. Because I know, and maybe even in your experience, anytime I was uh, amplified or elevated in a role, it was because I had a manager who was invested in my success. So if you don't have exactly. that, it's really going to, it's really going to be a pipeline issue, right? Yeah, exactly. Completely. What are some of the, I know in your podcast, you talk to women about their stories their professional stories, right? And what are some of the, like, what is one of the standout ones that you've had along the way? And obviously besides your own, which I'm sure is equally (laughs) as fascinating, but what is some of, one of the standout ones that you found in in one of the women sharing their stories? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, um, but fortunately, I have the the pleasure of hearing from so many women, but I, I love that I get to, but the stories that I hear, unfortunately, it, breaks my heart when I hear them, right? But I'm glad that they feel comfortable sharing those with me. But even in this day and age, you know, I'm hearing one particular story that I often think about is one recently because we're working, many people working remotely, but one Black woman, she's the only Black woman on her leadership team. Um, During the height of the pandemic, she did not feel comfortable going out and getting her hair professionally done at a salon. When it opened back up for her to feel comfortable to do that, um, over the last, you know, several months, she had been wearing her hair in a protective style. I'm going to assume that's braids or twists or something to that effect. And when she returned back to the virtual office, they had an all staff meeting and the first hundreds of people on this call. And the first thing the CEO says to her or says out loud on the screen to the to the whole company is, hey, so and so, I see you finally got your hair done. Right. Her hair had already been done all of these months. But in his opinion, now that she's gone to get it done professionally, all those, you know, the natural hairstyles were not professional. And so the trauma and triggers that she now will experience every time she gets on to the virtual call. Right. Um, And that nobody humanized her experience. And so I often say I'm sure that that CEO didn't mean harm. 
The, of course. the intention might not have been harmful, but the impact is harmful. And that's what we really have to focus on in the workplace is all of these good intentions. But the impact on us oftentimes is triggering and traumatic and um, and that we can't do our best work under that type of uh, constraints. You know, it's interesting. That happened publicly, but that happens a lot. And I mean, it happened in one of the departments. I mean, it happens so much. I can think of so many times, but there's one that stands out for me where same situation, protective style. And then when, and then also having worn her hair natural for a long time. And then she straightened her hair one day. And one of the management team said, oh, your hair looks so great like that. I love it. You should keep wearing it. Which in her mind was like, oh, I'm now more professional in your eyes. You see me, in other words. You didn't see me before. You see me as someone taking my job seriously based on my hair being straightened in a way, right? And... um and when when she was spoken to about it, she said, I'm not going to say anything about it because I'm embarrassed and I don't want to make a big deal about it. And that is the position that so many of us are put in. And again, where there this window of time is the time to speak about it. But I think just as much as everybody's trying to figure out how to allow for diverse talent, I think diverse talent also needs to have structure around how they now can communicate things. Would you not say? A hundred percent. I think that, you know, just because we're having these conversations in the workplace and, and now, you know, leadership is initiating them, it doesn't mean that people of color or anyone on the margins feel safe enough to say how they feel, right? Because we've been operating under um, silence for so long because we're fearful of our job or being labeled right. angry or aggressive or whatever. And so I think, you know, part of my work is how do we heal? How do we rebuild trust so that even if you do ask me a question, I feel comfortable and safe to be able to express how I'm experiencing this situation, right? And I think that's the, I think the weird juxtaposition of the workplace is just because we're having these conversations, do people feel safe enough to tell you the truth, right? And to your point, now that that window of opportunity is open, I think there's some accountability for, you know, people of color, women to actually say, how we are experiencing this, because how That's will right. people know how to solve if we aren't honest about what we are experiencing? You know, it's uh, I've had the just like you said, sometimes you're seen uh, in and that experience, by the way, is amazing. It's like being an invisible person. It's like those movies that you watch where someone there's a ghost <laughs> they've died but they're still walking amongst us and no yeah. one can see them and the one character who's the lead in the film says you know something to them and the person goes wait can you see me and they're like yeah of course i can see you and they're like but nobody else can see me and then you know we've all like most of us have experienced that movie but that is how it feels when you actually have someone of senior position or the ceo or what have you that says i see your talent I see your value. I want to nurture that. And how I nurture that is I always make sure that I recognize you. I always grab you for a minute and, you know, give you some input. And what you're talking about in terms of, yes, everybody needs to learn from Minda and, and others how to manage for diversity and manage for equity. And there has to be dialogues for us because it's just human to not communicate. I always say to people, if you think as a leader or manager, you can tell your people, hey, I got an open door policy, whatever you need to say, you can go ahead and say. <laughs> if you think they're gonna come to you and tell you stuff, they're not. The only person who's gonna come to you is the person that it's in their personality to just talk about things. That's the right. only person. And that's not progress, by the way. They were gonna do that anyway. 
So, <laughs> so we really having these kind of conversations for us of how do we talk? How do we, which is the, the next question I'm about to ask you, how do we heal? Where do we begin to heal? Because I think healing is so innate to personal life mm-hmm. that when we say heal at work, it's a little bit jarring. Like, where do we start? Because I have perimeters of professionalism as a woman. Should I, you know, I might say this and I'll cry and I can't cry. I'll put women back 20 years. It's, there's just automatically by framing a fear, a suppression, distance, separation. Overall, we call it protecting your own survival and the survival is your job. So how do we heal at work, Minda, especially around with such a charged topic? You know, it is hard, right? But I think for so long, we have normalized this treatment, right? This discrimination. We just, I know for me, I can only speak for me, but I've said, oh, well, this is just how it's going to be for a black woman in the workplace. So let me just settle in and put my seatbelt on, right? This is, this is what it is. But what I realized is I have the ability to heal. I have the ability to free myself from all of the past traumas that have been that I've been exposed to that I never should have been exposed to in the first place. So for example, if you're experiencing micro macroaggression, sexism, racism, ageism, whatever the ism is in the workplace, that's not your issue, that's somebody else's issue, but we take that on, right? And right. we internalize it. Now our self-worth is starting to uh disseminate by the by the second, right? <laughs> and so I yeah. think it's part of the thing is saying, "Okay, wait, I am good enough to deserve humanity, dignity, equity, and respect, just like some of my peers constantly get that. That's table stakes for other people. So what do I need to do to make sure that I am right within? Like Lauren Hill said, how are you going to win if you ain't right within? I can't wait Mm. for Bob or Kim to take the unconscious bias training before I get right and say, you know what? I deserve better. Audre Lorde said, beware of feeling you're not good enough to deserve it. We deserve that, right? Mm -hmm. And so that healing is ours, right? And part of that healing is first acknowledging that we've been harmed because again, we've been conditioned to believe that, oh, this is just the way so-and-so is, or this is, they didn't mean any harm. And so we're dismissing experiences that we know are disrespectful and harmful. And so part of that healing is first acknowledging that we have been harmed. That's where that healing can start to take root, telling the truth. Oh, completely. And what a great framework. And I think that it's important for us to unite too, to share just like what you're doing on your podcast to share our stories. So we get more examples of those of us who have spoken up. Uh, That's something that in working with Pete Carroll, I mean, obviously, so much of my career has been working with and for and on behalf of very powerful white, straight males, which is the predominant group that's very difficult for them to understand or put themselves in the shoes of what it is to be oppressed. And um, one of the things that Pete and I do is is when certain things happen, when I can tell that someone is speaking to me differently on the call with him because it's a male and when the woman talks, I, I just gloss over and I don't hear it. <laughs> Whatever is happening, I point it out to Pete. Like, we'll talk about it afterwards. I was like, did you see what happened there? And he was like, Oh, yeah, I noticed that. Or he was like, no, I didn't know. It was tell me. And I'll, I'll tell it to him. And then he has now adjusted the way that he'll set up a call or the way that he turns things over to me right in the beginning to establish, you listen to her, not to me. I'm just here supporting her. And that's how you should treat her. And, and we're, you know, we've got this rhythm now. And he's just like, Audrey, I've learned so much because look at this man's career. It's all males in the NFL industry, 
so predominant males and and the real large body of black employees is coming from the players, not from the coaches, not from the executive team either. So even in that kind of huddle of executive level conversations, like he's having with me, there isn't this also woman, also person of color, you know, along the way. And I think that's something so important is one, if you can establish that, if you can establish that relationship, it's not going to come automatically. And, and you can't make the person wrong for not being that way, because they might be like a Pete Carroll up for the challenge. You know, yeah. like teach yeah. me, I want to learn. Um, <laughs> and not that it's our job, but it definitely makes our job so much better if we can say, listen, I know it's hard for you to understand. I do want to see you do the work. And part of the work is that when I tell you how things are, that you take that for face value, right? You don't question and say like this, Minda. Well, what did you do? Well, how did you say it? <laughs> right? Yes. No, no, no. It wasn't on me. That wasn't on me. Um, yeah. Let's talk about a seat at the table, because I think this is a very fascinating thing. And Minda, also, I think what's very fascinating about talking about women of color, seat at the table, the lean-in controversy, um, is, again, the time in history where so many people are like, I don't care about a seat at the table. I'm about to leave the table and make my own table and ergo the great resignation that's happening right now, right? I haven't seen, because I'm doing so much research on this, I haven't seen the data on the percentage of women of color, especially black and brown, who are actually involved in the great resignation. But when you talk about a seat at the table, tell me Tell me your whole world interpretation of that, how we need to impact that. I'd love to hear from you about that. Yeah, well, you know, Audrey, first, I just want to just say how awesome it is that you do have that relationship with Pete to have that learning and dialogue, right? And that's what I'm asking. The work that I'm doing is like, let's be open to hear each other out, right? Let's be mature enough to say, yeah, this hasn't been my experience, but I'm not going to dismiss that that's how you experienced it, right? Tell me more about that. And I think we're just not having that two-way dialogue. And so I'm glad that you are, you all are role modeling what that could possibly look like, right? Because we're not used to doing it. And so um, I think having willing and able people who are willing to hear each other out, be courageous, you're being courageous by telling him and he's being courageous by listening, right? And if we have that courage on both sides, we can actually get to some solutions. But to your point of the table, let's be honest, the table has not been equitable for a very long time. It was never created with equity in mind, right? When the table was built, it was built for white men uh, to make the decisions and do that. And so when we ask for a seat, um, it's hard to get equity when it was never created for you in the first place. So the way that I look at it is saying, okay, the seat is, in theory, we would like our voice to be heard. We want a sense of belonging, right? And so I'm saying you belong at every table, that you sit at, but not every table deserves to have you. And I think mm. sometimes as women and women of color, we are fighting for a place that is never going to see us, right? So we need to make some yes. decisions. Is this the right environment for me to thrive in or will I just be surviving? And that's not the table any of us should be sitting at unless we're there for a particular reason or season, right? <laughs> so yeah. um, I'm saying let's redefine what the table looks like. And that may even be creating your own, but realizing our value first to ourselves and then everybody at that table. But again, I think we've been like trying to fit ourselves in a circle into a square peg. And some yeah. of these tables are just never going to see us, but there are places and spaces that will celebrate us. And we need to find those tables to um, 
to help build and create and build bridges at. I think what, what you're saying is so powerful, Minda, because even as professionals, what so many people get wrong about building their brand or being behind a brand or approaching kind of wanting to grow their, their company <clears throat> and their product is they think like, well, this is a great product for everyone. We want to reach bigger territory. We want to, and, and I always say to them, you're doing exactly the wrong thing. You should not be thinking big. You should have a localized view with a globalized intention. But the important part about that is you have to see what's right in front of you, the people in front of you. And if you can treat the people in front of you with the kind of respect, with the kind of gratitude that, you know, internally or with your customers, if you can treat those people, you will win them as part of a community. You will have their, you know, their allegiance. You will have their interest. They'll go through the ups and downs with you. Um, again, speaking about your customers and your your teams. And I think this is a, a really, really important part of how we keep looking at this big, on both sides, again, not to create sides, but just to speak at it in very kind of black and white terms, quite literally, um, that for people <laughs> of color, uh, so much of us have this um, resignation about change, that we see big efforts, and the way we view big efforts in behalf of businesses or CEOs or what have you that are white is we look at it like, mm-hmm, that's not going to last it's like, you know, it's like, we'll see, we'll see. There's immediately <laughs> a distrust there and they, and it's it's just mired in resignation. And for those, for the ones that are doing the efforts, a lot of them are like, well, I did it. See, I made this big, huge gesture. I mean, look, but to your point, and I, and I really want to highlight what your message is um, or part of your message is because in acknowledging the work Pete and I are doing, Pete doesn't just listen to me. He listens and then takes action. Mm -hmm. And like, basically, I listen to you and I practice and I come back to you and say, Audrey, is this what you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, a little bit more. Oh, OK, 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 I'm gonna try that. And so much to the point where, where we've had situations and Pete, you know, didn't apply something. And afterwards, he was like, oh, I'm kicking myself. And like two <laughs> weeks later, two weeks later, he'll call me and he'd be like, I'm so upset with myself. I'm so upset with myself that I missed that. And I was like, well, you know, we'll try again. Um but that mutual, we're, we're learning from each other because we're in a time. And and I think also, and again, I'll use Pete, he, he uses himself as the ex example too, which is to say, I thought I was on the side. I thought I was doing all the work. How did I miss this? And to me, I think, Minda, and I'd love to hear what you think of this. T to me, I think what people are missing, especially the well-intentioned ones, are that it takes little moment by moment micro practices. It's being present enough in this moment to not automatically say to somebody like, oh, I love your hair. Stop yourself. Think. This is where you create a little bit of space to that where you have a choice in the road you're about to take. You don't have choice if you're automatically responding to things by default. You've got to stop, pause, and then, right? Um, so I appreciate your saying that, and I appreciate your acknowledging that, because it is work. We're slowing down the process of communication. We're learning from one another. And what we're doing is we're cult cultivating new practices along yes. the way and how we can interact. When we get on an interview, he now knows to do things that he didn't know when he started. And he doesn't think any more of me from the beginning as he does now, but he's learned how the world perceives me. 
And it was shocking to him. He was like, can't they hear who you are? I mean, isn't it automatically that you're running my company? Didn't they automatically know? And I'm like, that's not how, that's not how it works. That's not, that's not how it works. <laughs> no, no. Um, but to your point, it is, you know, I often say too, you said the the micro moments, it's those small acts of courage that we want everybody to yes. lean into, right? Because we all see, majority of us see ourselves as good decent people, right? But I often say, when has somebody benefited from your good intentions, right? When has somebody benefited from your allyship, right? Because yeah. we could call ourselves allies all day and night, but if nobody in our life is benefiting from that, to your point, the action, right? Yeah. Having those conversations. And I think what I what I sounds to me is so beautiful between you and Pete is that um, you respect each other. And some people say, well, why Minda do you make it about race? Why do you make it about gender? Uh, we don't have to make it about that, but let's make it about a humanitarian issue, right? And when we talk about being humans, good humans to each other, that's hearing each other out, understanding that we might live in the same country, but experience it very differently. So tell me more about that, right? So that I can show up. And it's not, I think the thing that I often am trying to educate folks on is don't take this personal. If somebody tells you not to address their hair in a meeting doesn't mean they're calling you a racist, right? Doesn't mean right. that they're calling you a bad person. They're telling you this so that you're aware so that you don't do it anymore. And so let's take it as a gift, right? And say, oh, I'm so glad they felt comfortable to talk to me yes, about this. So now I yes. have that information. So now I don't traumatize them, right? This is a win for everybody, you know? And I think taking ourselves out of it and not taking things so personal, we could really get to healing and building that trust. It, it, that's so that's so great. And, it, and I know it's hard for all of us to hear, but it was never personal to begin with. <laughs> you know, right. it, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it was just greed that this all started. <laughs> but it, but it wasn't personal. We weren't even alive. How could it possibly be personal? It's just we're living inside of this unconscious to consciousness, to new choices, to new reality. And you've got to go through that path methodically. And in order to yes. change again, you, you can't just throw dynamite on things and expect to change because you still got to mine for the gold. Yeah. After the dynamite. Great way to put it. Yeah. Right. So we still got to do the work and it takes both sides. Like you said, we got to communicate. They need to, you know, it behooves them to take it on and and, and take new actions. And every day, every day. Every and if day. that exhausts, and recommit. Yeah. And, and recommit. recommit. That's right. Recommit. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm telling you, when people are like, enough already, are we still talking about this? Yeah, <laughs> we're still talking about this because there's not, it's not changed yet. And we'll continue yeah. to talk about that. And I think in times of paradigm shifts, when something gets driven up, there is a hypersensitivity to it. There is a lot of conversation with it. There is the personal relationship to it until you sort of like unshackle yourself, for lack of a better term, um, <laughs> and you start to become free with it, where, where enough it people- That's what it boils down to. That's what it boils down to. And we've, to get to the freedom side means we cannot stop talking. No. Right? Because and er talking- That's right. Yeah, talking is just the beginning, right? Now we're That's just right. having the difficult conversations. But <laughs> to your point, now where does the where does the activation happen? So, that's right. Okay, <laughs> so we, we can talk about it, but now we need some action, right? And so that's we we can stop talking about it and making it about X, Y, and Z when we start seeing the action, right? So we're going to keep that's having right. these conversations until the demonstration is initiated. That's right. So basically, everybody, Minda's telling you that the visual analogy is like people saying right now, oh, I'm so tired. And Minda and I are looking at you like, girl, the race just started. We're at the start line. 
We're not even halfway through. We're at the beginning of the race. We still got the whole race to run to the finish we'll line. We'll have the Gatorade ready for you, but we got to keep going. Okay. Keep going. That's right. Cry and walk. Cry and walk. Cry and walk. Um, thank you so much for spending this time with us. I again, I could not appreciate you more for the work that you're doing and being thank on the you. front lines with something that's so monumental, so charged, so emotionally draining. So much of the time. I mean, it already was draining, and now that it's in the <laughs> forefront, it's a new type of draining. But like. Like Min and I just said, we got to just keep walking. We got to just keep walking because the finish yeah. line may not be in sight right now, but there is a moment as you keep walking where it becomes in sight and you can see the other side. Yes. And in honor of Martin Luther King, that is that statement. I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen. That's that's that feeling of like I have had an epiphany and I've experienced emotionally physiologically what it feels like to be free with one another and and that's the Gatorade that Minda's talking about that's the Gatorade that's the Gatorade that's the quench that's the quench in the thirst okay <laughs> yes that part <laughs> wasn't that an awesome conversation Minda is exceptional I love a few of these takeaways here. First and foremost, I wanted to acknowledge Minda for acknowledging the collaborative and empowering relationship that Pete Carroll and I have created inside of Amplify Voices. I mean, clearly given someone's wisdom and experience as Pete Carroll, I am basked in what is really extraordinary, but that's the thing about him. But that's the thing that we all have to think about is, you know, when you become too enamored or intimidated or threatened by someone that you are working with, be they a peer, be they someone senior to you, what you miss out on is your value in the collaborative effort. And so, it's not like there is, for any relationship, just a wide open door with a pathway to collaborate, meaning not all relationships go and set up that way. You have to be the one to create and design that. And in some cases, it's, you know, pretty smooth sailing to set that up and then manage the integrity of it. And in some cases, it's really difficult. It may take time. And what we have to remember is that even though we don't experience maybe for yourself, you don't experience that you have the power to decide how that relationship's going to go. What you do have the power of is understanding that actions over time equal change. So many people want to have that big change right away, especially for those of that have more experience. We feel like we've earned it. We've put in our time. We shouldn't have to fight for that anymore. But here's the thing. Any situation you get into, you're going to have to find a way to grow together. People come with their skill sets. This is beyond gender. This is beyond race. This is beyond uh, educational backgrounds and experience. You stand for what you're committed to and be willing to find your way through being effective at communication until you are seen and you are heard. And if there is no way 
that you can see that this would ever work out, meaning that person is completely a no, not like, hmm, let me think about that, or you're seeing some improvement and then maybe some setbacks and a little bit improvement, you know, that's progress. But if there is zero progress, I'd say over a six-month period, in some cases a three, but I definitely give it six months, that is not a relationship that is ever going to be something that you want going forward. You know, it's interesting. There's been a lot of cases where I have been not been able to be effective or that person is unwilling to work with me collaboratively. And they're very much, you know, cards close to their chest, want to uh, have their own world. They don't want to change anything. And then I've gone off and done something else and then seen or, you know, revisited that person or been in a situation where all of a sudden they're in the loop of a project I'm now stepping into years later. And they've learned so much over that time. And now they are open. They've done the work with someone else in some other projects. And that's kind of also the journey. You know, for some of us, we're in an industry where, uh, it's very small in terms of the players of that industry. And we probably will and most likely will meet up again with these people. So always give room for people to grow while still standing for who you are, your voice being seen and being heard. And listen, I'm saying this knowing full well, it is not easy. But I guess we can say what relationship is. I think in many cases, we're prepared to do that work and we understand to do that work in our personal relationships, but in our professional relationships, again, if we have a lot of experience, we kind of think our title and our experience demands that you respect me. You should relate to me with respect. You should listen to what I say. Look at my title. Look at what I've come here. I was hired to do this job. You're now not allowing me to fully engage myself in. I got to tell you, quite frankly, in my experience of several decades and now an expert in my field in a few areas, I've never had a relationship where I walked in and they were just like, do what you want. Um, you know, even with Pete Carroll, who is, in fact, Audrey, I see you. I get the kind of person you are. I get what you're up to. And all we need to do is get out of your way. It's not like I'm floating out here on my own. I still have a place to collaborate with. I still have obvious challenges. I still need to get everyone understanding what we're up to. I mean, look, I launched a company with the team here and Pete. That's not about sports, but a founder who is a legacy NFL coach. What kind of crazy sense does that make? Not everybody was open arms about that. It took me understanding what each person I was pitching to, what I was presenting to, what would be a mutually beneficial outcome if we were to work together. I had to do the work to get in their reality. And in some cases, as I was engaged with people, I'm like, hey, I don't see a win-win, but it doesn't mean that there's not one down the road. So we'll leave this door open. We'll leave this conversation without a period. It's an open-ended one to be revisited again. It's very important to set your strategy, but to manage it by your gut, because that will never steer you wrong. It doesn't avoid challenges, but it doesn't steer you wrong either because you're creating, you're painting something with a blindfold on in many cases as you build something. So I love that Minda, you know, opened that door about the collaborative effort between working with people, working with um, subordinates, peers, and senior people, but also working in a 
diverse or even a lack of diversity environment. The second thing, which I just am such a massive, massive advocate of these days, is small acts of courage steer the course. It's wonderful to think that you can just, like I mentioned to uh, in our conversation, drop dynamite on something and think that that's, that's all the work that needs to be done. But as we know, those jewels will not get to market unless they're mined after the dynamite. So even if you are a go-getter, even if you go into your era and you really challenge something, no, you still are going to have to do the work of mining, which, which I would say is the Minda's small acts of courage over time. That's where true change takes place because what allows you for is to not have to deal with when you drop dynamite, there is a big backlash. When you try to make a change in an industry, when you try to make a change, you know, with your own representation, standing for something, being the first ever in your industry to X, Y, Z, whatever you're doing, an innovator to, to dismantle or democratize a particular product or outcome, those are big changes. And I think for the most part, a lot of us who are leaders are looking for that. And that's what we're leading people through is being able to make big shifts, being able to, to win the growth game year after year after year. And if we have a setback, win at overcoming that setback. So you understand that dynamite is par for the course. You do need to have and strap on that dynamite. However, you cannot miss out on the small acts of courage because it can't be all dynamite. You got to mind for it. And the part that's really important about that, I would say first and foremost, is for all the people resisting, if you do little things over time, a lot of people change their mind without even realizing it because you've done it in a way that's palatable, that they were to able to adapt to, that they didn't have a huge massive resistance to and try to take you down. You gave them a little bit at a time. And let me tell you something. This is coming from someone who's mostly a dynamite gal her whole career. You know, I am the person that would come in and upset things. But on the other side, they would be like, oh, yeah, we love what you did. We see it now. But, you know, there would be dead bodies along the way, sometimes mine. Um, but now I understand. I don't need to throw out the baby with the bathwater, meaning I don't need to throw away my dynamite approach to things. But I got to also have the mining. And that's the small acts of courage. And I love that Minda brought up. And I think she's just fantastic. And I so looking forward to having her on again. So please let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear more of or let us know how you've engaged with Small Acts of Courage. You can text me at 310-582-5216. That's 310-582-5216. And our website is www.amplifyvoices.io. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.